Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 64 of Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I just want to share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a show that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders, and my goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to this idea of putting other first, being a servant leader, and honoring God. Because what happens is that when you live this way, blessings will follow as a natural byproduct of that service. Because at the end of the day, all of us are ministers. Because each one of us has special gifts and talents that are given to us by God. And because of that, it is our obligation and responsibility that when we see a need in the world, we should fill that need to the very best of our ability. And this is in every walk of life because serving is for everyone. And we've seen this demonstrated week after week for the last year and a half of doing this program. You can be a servant leader in the military, in business, in faith, in your community, and in your family. And we saw that last week with Mr. Marty Rotella. Marty is a songwriter he's a singer and he has this company called spirit music where he goes around and just brings joy to people through his music and through inspirational talks and i had an opportunity to meet marty at a retreat over father's day weekend and this man is just absolutely full of love and passion and if you didn't have an opportunity to hear the show i would highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 63 because this man just resonates joy and love and you really want to hear what he has to say but for today i want to share with you just a little bit about me that's relevant to today's guest through the network that i have built up over the years and the people that i'm friends with i get to meet a lot of really interesting people and a lot of them are veterans and most recently i had a chance to meet a gentleman named mr jerry tempesta now, of all the veterans that I've met, there's a lot of them that I could have invited onto the show, but this is the 4th of July weekend, and so I wanted to bring you somebody that is really special and really speaks to the idea of patriotism, and Jerry Tempesta absolutely is an example of that. He's a Vietnam War veteran, which is near and dear to my heart because my father is a Vietnam War veteran, but Jerry is different because Jerry has been nominated to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. In addition, Jerry is also the nephew of a World War II hero who has a plaque and an entire section named after him at a Fort Knox building uh, at the Fort Knox headquarters. So the entire tradition and legacy of service in the Tempesta family. And when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Mr. Jerry Tempestin. So stay with us. We'll be right back. 
If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Mr. Jerry Tempesta. Jerry, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with me on the show here today. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So, Jerry, you know, we have spoken quite extensively in the past, and you've done many things in your life, but I feel like uh, your story really begins with your military service. So if you don't mind, would you share with us a little bit about that? What made you join the military? How long you stayed in? You know, just some basic background about your military. Actually, actually, I was I was drafted into the military. I worked at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in the training program to be a machinist. And I was there from 1966 out of high school to 1969. On the end of this, when I was drafted into the military, U.S. Army, February 12, 1969. Now. I was a shop learning shop learner, and it was a training program like apprenticeship. But you went, you went after work and not during work. They didn't have an apprenticeship open at the time. So, two years into the program, okay, they offered us the apprenticeship, which would have got me a draft department for four years. Uh, you know, like college, you get the draft department. But I wasn't going to do that to get out of the draft. I mean, my father is a is an Army infantry veteran. My uncle Anthony. And uh, I wasn't going to try to evade the draft if I thought my country needed it. So you decided to not do the apprenticeship, not avoid the draft. And I think I heard you say that you were actually drafted on February 12th, 1969. Is that correct? Correct. And how long did you stay in for? I stayed in for two years. I uh, went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina for basic training. And from there, I went to Fort Dix for infantry training. And then July of 1969, July 1970, I was in Vietnam. And when I came back, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, until I was discharged on February 11, 1971. Wow. So just a full two years that you did. Yes. All right. And so during that two years, Jerry, what do you think is the biggest thing that the Army taught you about servant leadership or the idea of putting other people ahead of yourself? Well, I mean, uh, I think what it taught me was this. I mean, although I went to Catholic school for 12 years, I was already disciplined already. Okay. And going to the military wasn't much of a change for me after going to Catholic school for 12 years. But, the, but what the Army taught me was working with other people of different nationalities and races and religions and coming together as a team. Coming together as a team. So I expect that when you were in the jungles of Vietnam, that that came into play more than once. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it was. I mean, you know, uh, well, for what I understand from the Army, you know, during the Second World War in Korea, they actually train people in basic training, infantry training, and send them off to war. And then when something would happen to them, it would be devastating. So they tried something different with Vietnam. They sent you to basic training with one group of guys, infantry training with another group of guys, and sent you to Vietnam with perfect strangers. But the thing they didn't realize is that you immediately start bonding as brothers. Right. And that's what happened. And so 
Can you share a little bit about your Vietnam experience? I know a lot of people are familiar with the show Band of Brothers, but as somebody that served in Vietnam and did two years in the Army during that period of time, what, what was the hardest thing that you had to do in Vietnam? What was your story like there? Well, I mean, you know, going out on patrols every day, I mean, it was over 100 degrees, it was humid, very humid, there was bugs that bit you from every which end, scorpions, uh, just, just, uh, just, and then also the monsoon season when I got there. So it was raining all the time. And then it was like, it was so hot in the daytime that at nighttime, it felt a little chilly because it was so hot in the daytime and humidity. So just the weather there was enough to, to uh, make you think twice about why am I here? But uh, we went out on ambush patrols every day. Uh, on you know, regular uh, uh, patrols during the day, ambush patrols at nighttime. And uh, I did something I didn't think I would do, but I did was volunteer for eight man, five man killer team, going out at nighttime, uh, looking for the enemy. But uh, you know, once you know, once you're there and you start bonding with your platoon and you're asked to do things, and and uh, you know, uh, I I had a platoon sergeant, a Jerry Radelaide, and a couple other friends were very close. And we always worked together all the time. But the rest of the platoon was great also. But we had a special bond. And we looked out for each other, you know. And uh, that's what helped us make it through the year. Is that special bond. And we all we all thought the same way, which is uh, don't be uh, don't be on the defensive, be on the offense. Against the enemy, you mean? Against the enemy, because uh, you can't be laxed. You cannot be laxed. So for people that might be listening that maybe aren't familiar with military jargon and vernacular, can you explain a little bit what the patrol is and the night ambushes? What's involved with that, being out doing those missions? Well, what you had, what you had when you were there, <clears throat> there's a division-sized base camp, which is huge, like a fort in the United States. Then outside there, you had battalion-sized base camps to protect the division headquarters. And then further out, you had what they call fire support bases. And normally when they put them, they put them close to Cambodia. And sometimes I thought we were actually used to fake, okay, because it's so close to Cambodia. And, uh, you know, our job was to uh, go out, find the enemy. Uh, sometimes we run into booby traps. We have to, we have to set them off, uh, you know, there's booby traps a lot of places. And uh, our job was to go, you know, go through villages, see if there's any Viet Cong uh, sympathizers uh, with the people, hide, hide within the people. And uh, sometimes we had an interpreter as a scout, sometimes we didn't. So uh, it wasn't easy because we didn't speak the language right. uh, to the people. It wasn't an easy thing to do. And uh, it, it was grueling at times, it was so hot we go on some of these patrols and also sometimes uh you know we fly in on the helicopters okay and uh and what they call hot lz and cold lz mm -hmm. hot lz is when you're brought into a firefight they need you as a blocking force or attacking force and flying in a helicopter was great till you got to till you got to your destination yeah and then all hell broke loose and uh so i worked helicopters many times also we worked on riverboats pbrs which took the place of a pt boat and riverboats which actually brought us in close to the banks of the jungle and when 
you know, walking in the water up to your neck. You had to hold your rifle over your head. We'd get out and there'd be leeches sucking the blood out of you. So uh, we had to use mosquito repellent to get that, you know, get the leeches off of this. So they're the kind of things that from day to day, uh, if you didn't make any contact with the enemy, just against the elements of, of the, the jungle, the heat, the bugs, and whatever else was there. So Jerry, as you're describing these circumstances, it makes me think a whole lot about the movie Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks that came out a number of years ago. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a good portion of the movie where he gets sent to Vietnam and there's a series of scenes that visually depict exactly what you're talking about with him walking through the water with his rifle above his head and sleeping out in the rain and monsoon winds and a lot of these different circumstances that you're talking about. And another thing that happens during that show is they come under an attack. There is a serious firefight at one point and Tom Hanks, his character, Forrest Gump, winds up receiving the Medal of Honor for some heroic actions that he took on the field of battle that day. Is there anything that you did while you were in Vietnam that is anywhere like what happened to Forrest Gump? Well, on April 2nd, 1970, uh, they brought my platoon out to rescue Army Rangers. Uh, there's an area called the Renegade Woods that it was a staging area for the enemy. And at times there was a buildup there, so they sent the 75th Rangers attached to the 25th Infantry Division out to do some recon. And when they got there, they immediately got attacked. And they were pinned down and they were calling for help. So uh, we were out on another mission the night before with little sleep, no sleep, and no, and we never ate breakfast or anything. We were just put right in there. Right. So, uh, so we were flown out there and they only had three helicopters. So my platoon, the first platoon of Charlie Company, second of the 27th Wolfhounds, was the first to arrive. Lieutenant Ronnie Clark was our platoon leader. He put us in two columns, left and right column. He was in the right column. Uh, point man was uh, Mickey Griffiths. The uh, lieutenant was second and then his radio man with him. I was third in the column. Uh, we were there for about 10, 15 minutes. And when he told us to move out, all hell broke loose. Uh, the point man, Mickey Griffiths, was instantly killed, shot, shot down by a machine gun, instantly killed. I was charging. I mean, my, my, my just instincts is to go on the attack, okay? And I was, I was running towards the hedgerow, firing where the fire was coming from. And Lieutenant Clark, my platoon leader, was hunched over, was shot in the stomach. Wow. Uh, I ran up to him while I was firing into the hedgerow, grabbed him and started coming back, pulled, dragging him back out of the kill zone. And bullets were flying past my head, everywhere around me, and finally I got shot in the head. Uh, I spun around, I dropped him on the ground, I pulled out a baseball hand grenade and threw it into the machine gun nest that killed Mickey Griffin wounded the lieutenant, wounded me and other people, and took that machine gun out. Jerry, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. You said that you got shot in the head. If yeah. you got shot in the head, how are you still with us today? Well, I got shot through the ear and through the mastoid area, the side of my head. So if you look across where I got shot at, they were trying to shoot me between the eyes. But as General Patton always said, it's hard to hit a moving target. 
So I wasn't just staying still, I was moving, okay? So, so because of that, I didn't get shot totally between the eyes, okay? And, and uh, the impact was so great, it spun me around, and uh, luckily I had enough senses to pull out a hand grenade and throw it into the machine gun nest in the hedge grow. And uh, uh, after that, I was uh, kind of suffering. I was, my, my balance was all knocked off. I had like vertigo, dizzy, concussion. Sure. And the medic came over, the medic came over and he, he patched up me and the lieutenant. Now, uh, from what I understand is, is that uh, uh, one of the other platoon mates, <clears throat> he was one of the ones that had to stay overnight because the ones that were wounded were taken out of there. The next morning, he found the dead NBA soldiers that were manning that machine gun. And I would think that uh, just maybe that beside, beside stopping any further damage, that I might have saved some other lives beside myself, my own life, the lieutenant, other people behind me. Wow. So for his actions in the movie, Tom Hanks slash Forrest Gump, he received the Medal of Honor. What has the country done or is in the process of doing to recognize you for your actions? Well, right now, uh, I, I'm put in for consideration for the Medal of Honor. Uh, it's at the Army Review Board in Arlington, Virginia. And uh, my XO signed off on it. Um, and he's the only living officer I served under. So I had to do so much research with a lot of help from uh, Catholic priest, Father Jim Drucker, uh, uh, to get the obituaries of all the people I served under. And uh, it was sent to Fort Knox originally, and they said that uh, Lieutenant Wiser wasn't in the command position. Well, he was sent out by the operations officer uh, within two hours of the battle. He became company commander. I would think he's in a command position, wouldn't you? So... Yeah, so they couldn't make a decision, so it went to the Army View Board Agency Correction of Military Records, and it's been there for over two years. So, Jerry, I, I can't speak to the Army Review Board or their process, but I can certainly speak to your bravery and the lives that you sp saved on that day, not only pulling people out of the line of fire, but even after being shot in the head, having enough sense and still courage and wit to be able to throw a grenade into that fortified position to kill the enemy and prevent any further loss of life so regardless of what happens for you with receiving the medal of honor i want to thank you for your selfless sacrifice and your service to our country during those two years in vietnam thank you thank you so let me ask you jerry you did a very selfless thing during that period of time to save not just yourself, but a lot of other people. What would you say is the greatest blessings that you have gotten from that? I mean, you, there's a very large chance that you could have never walked away from that and been here now almost 60 years later. What has God orchestrated in your life as a blessing for you from what you did for other people? Well, you know, I really should have been dead that day. I mean, really. I mean, three people in the left column were killed that day that were in the front. And the same thing should happen in the right column, but it didn't happen. And God helped me, God helped me to live. 
And what I've done the rest of my life is, you know, try to lead a good life. I always try to help people all the time. And uh, I'm somewhat religious, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I believe I was, I, was, I was saved for a different reason. And, you know, uh, I try to live a good life and uh, help my fellow man. Mm-hmm. Family man, I help all the people in the family. Uh, I only want the best for everybody. Are there, <coughs> excuse me, are there people in your life, maybe people that you served under in Vietnam or other people that have influenced you, maybe family members, whatever, that really inspired you to have that act of bravery so many years ago? Like, what was going through your head and your heart to be willing to do that? Well, I mean, you know, I was trained. I'm a trained soldier. I was there for almost nine months before that happened. I was a hardened soldier. I had much experience okay in firefights and nothing like that though right but, uh, and then when i first got there when i was a rookie newbie they call them mm-hmm. it, uh, guys were there for a while they experienced a lot of combat and they talked to me all the time about things okay not to be always be ready always right. be ready for anything okay and anything can happen i always I always kept that in my head and uh but when the, the moment of truth came I just reacted to how it was trained. And you know something? I read something recently that when you're going through basic training, the drill sergeant is always hollering in your ear, mm-hmm. okay? Screaming in your ear. Mm-hmm. I never knew why until I read. The reason why they do that is so that when you're in a firefight and everything is going on around you, you stay focused. Right. And I, I believe that helped me. I really believe it. Absolutely. Wow. But, Jerry, if I understand correctly, the tradition of serving in the military you mentioned previously that you come from a military family and what i don't think you said but you mentioned to me privately uh you have an uncle anthony tempesta that also had some heroic actions during world war ii is that right yes he was in the 743rd uh, tank battalion and uh one particular day i think in 1944 uh he uh all the officers were wounded. He is—he uh, was a staff sergeant. He took over command of the company. He inflicted heavy damage on the enemy, and he received the Distinguished Service Cross. Wow. And so, how did that affect your decision to join the military? How did that affect? your mindset, you know, maybe even a feeling of you have to live up to what people before you have done. Well, I mean, my whole life, every, every first son in the family was named Anthony. So I had something to look up to. Yeah. My father was in the infantry in the second world war. His name is Gerald also, Jerry. And, uh, and my uncle Anthony, he was a couple years older. So he was, he went in, I think in 41, my father went in in 43. So it's your father's brother. Yes. Yes. And I always heard about him and, you know, how courageous he was and what kind of person he was. And the youngest uncle of all, he passed away a few years ago, but he always talked about him. And actually, he made a book up with all his information his awards, wow. letters from letters from the military from the Second World War. I got it all. Wow. And also, he gave me this book. It's called Tempesta Family History. 
here's a picture of my father. Wow. And and uh, in this book, which I didn't know, you know, it says my my father also he was in the infantry, he was a rifleman, and he's also in a military policeman guard and guard German prisoners. Mm. So my father never really talked about this stuff with me. Yeah. You know? So the Distinguished Service Cross that your uncle got, did that hang somewhere in a prominent position in your home? Like, was that a daily reminder to you of what heroism is about and what you could aspire to? Well, my young, the youngest uncle, Carmen Tempesta, he had all my uncle's, all my uncle's possessions at his house, and he had all, he had all that stuff. So whenever I went there, I would look at it and think about it, and. Uh, you know, we talked about it here and there about his brother Anthony. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then, and then something, and he got killed. He got killed three weeks before the war ended in Germany. Uh, his tank got hit, and he went to a building to to get cover, and and the and the tank shot at the building, and he got killed three weeks before his unit left the war. Wow, three weeks. He had distinguished service cross and four purple hearts. Wow. The first one was the day he got killed. And so now, fast forward a number of years, uh, I believe you were telling me that he was honored, aside from the medals on his chest, he's been honored at a different way at Fort Knox. Is that right? And in the building, headquarters building, Tempesta Hall, and I went there with my family in 2001. That's me standing behind. That's me right here. Okay. And uh, that's that's the plaque that's on the wall outside there, and inside the building is actually a big picture of my uncle and his gear inside a glass case. Wow, that is really something special. Yeah. So Jerry, like thinking about your actions of Vietnam and your uncle's actions, your father's actions, like you have a long line of military service. How do you bring that forward? to the next generation of young people coming up to the ranks, maybe young kids that are thinking about joining the army. How do you inspire through your family's legacy, the next generation of service members? Uh, I would tell them that, you know, if you put your mind to it, you could accomplish anything in life just by concentrating, uh, do your best, always put your best foot forward, uh, only think positive, never think negative about anything. Always, th- always see the good things in life mm-hmm. and move forward. And do you have any opportunities to engage with people of the younger generation through VFW or the Legion or anything like that? Do you have any opportunities where you're able to pour into these young kids? Well, I'm a late member of the Disabled American Veterans, uh, VFW, and also the Military of the Purple Heart. And also I've done some stuff with the Wounded Warriors and uh they, they, they sent me on a couple of fishing trips, which was very nice. And I met, I met some good people on those fishing trips. Uh, but I do get involved. I mean, when I, when I was, I was a commander in uh, Belmont, New Jersey, uh, back, back in the nineties. And we had the voice, voice of democracy program where we had kids from, uh, kids from, uh, schools in the contest to talk about democracy. Mm-hmm. So that that was very nice. So what, were you one of the judges of the contest? No, I was the commander. Oh, the commander. Okay. The winner, yeah, the winner came to my post. I was lucky enough to get, at the time, Congressman Rob Andrews to be my guest there and to speak there also. Uh, and uh, 
you know, the winner got so much money. It was very nice, very nice. And so if people are intrigued by your actions and those of your uncle, is there a place where they can go to maybe read more about either one of those battles and what the two of you did in combat so many years ago? Well, as far as as far as the Battle of Renegade Woods, you could go actually go online and look it up, Battle of Renegade Woods. Okay, uh, classified report now declassified. Uh, but uh, the VFW just did a story on this battle in the May edition of the VFW magazine. So if you don't get the VFW magazine, you can go on VFW digital copy and get the May edition on page uh, 44, 45, 46. It is the story called Ambush at Renegade Woods. That is awesome. And I'll tell you, I read that story myself. And Father Drucker gave me a copy of that article the last time I saw both of you. Really great article. And uh, Jerry, I'm just glad to know you and to hear your heart and hear your story. So um, that, that's, that's really Father, inspiring. Father Jim Drucker took him during the COVID well, a year and a half to interview people from my platoon because he has sworn letters of testimony from them right? Uh, for my award recommendation. But he also has a testimony to put together for the story for the VFW. Uh, an actual, you know, not a, a lot of that information in the story is from the actual official documents. Mm-hmm. After action report. So you mentioned earlier that after the arming, I, I believe the words you said were you tried to lead a good life. And one of our mutual friends have told me that uh, after you left the army, you've gotten yourself into music and blessing people in that regard. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, you know, when I was a kid from 14 years old, I used to sing in the street corners of South Philly. Now, I wasn't the only one. Every corner had a singing group. But as the years passed, people you know, got older and they moved on. It's a, it's a really a lost uh, performing art uh, for people just to get up and start singing. with No music, no pitch pipe, no anything. But anyway, uh, when I came back, I, I sang up until I went in the service. But when I came back from Vietnam, I lost singing in my heart. Okay. I, I didn't realize I was suffering from traumatic brain injury, near syndrome, and post traumatic stress disorder. And uh, for 25 years, I didn't go to VA because when I went there, I didn't like how I was treated. Uh, I had a paperwork from Fort Benning, Georgia that says I have. To, I have concussion, I have all these different problems, dizziness, dizzy spells, and they sent me to see a psychiatrist instead of a neurologist. I didn't go back for 25 years, so I wow. just suffered with these problems. And uh, my good friend I went to high school with, Joe Kapura, who we started the group back in uh, back in uh, 1965, I'm knocking on my mom's door, and uh, we started singing again, our group, The Emeralds, and uh, we've, We've done a lot of shows. We've done a show with Tony Orlando in Lake City called Jukebox Dreams. Uh, we're very fortunate to have a song of ours in a movie with Robert Davi called The Dukes. Uh, there's a, I worked at the University of Arts for a while, instead of Navy Art. And uh, they had a talent show with the University of Arts in Philadelphia. And a professor heard us sing, learned there to sing. He said, I can't believe how you guys sing without music. So we did a documentary, if anybody's interested, it's called The Emeralds Harmonizing, Singing from the Heart. Wow. If you watch that, you'll learn about a little bit about Vietnam. I talk about that. My mom who passed away, she's in it too, talking about it. And the different things that we did. Uh, 
you know, over the years uh, with the emeralds. Wow. So, Jerry, we've got just a couple minutes left, and there's just a couple of things I want to ask you. I think that are really important. You've done a lot of things with your life. You, you mentioned that before. And listening to your story, I feel like this is not something that you can go through alone. How was your family able to be there for you when you came back from Vietnam and, you know, your journey with PTSD and music and all those things? What people came alongside you and helped support you when you went off to the Army, when you came back, and your journey since then? Well, my mother really supported me and all, but, yeah, then I got married and all and had a few kids. But the thing is, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I used to I used to go sit in the corner by myself. I used to get away from people. And I didn't realize I was suffering from PTSD until working at the Navy Yard, I became a manager after. And one of the union guys I knew from when I was in the union said to me, I think you better go to the VA. I think you're suffering from PTSD. I said, what's that? He said, he told me. And I went there and I've been going there ever since. Wow. I've been going to the VA, Philadelphia VA, and I get treated very well there with all my mental and physical problems that I have in the military. That is wonderful. And, you know, sometimes we don't hear anything but the bad news stories about the VA, but it's, it's really great that they're taking care of you there. And yeah, I mean, I mean, when we came back, we only could go to the clinic at Broad and Cherry. I didn't like the clinic. Right. But the hospital, you got University of Pennsylvania doctors, they're great doctors, and they really care about veterans, and I've never had a problem. That's awesome. So, Jerry, last question. If there is a person listening today, and maybe they are – thinking about joining the military or maybe they just have and they're getting ready to ship off to basic training and AIT soon but they look around at the situation in the world and maybe they're a little bit anxious they're a little bit nervous about you know well maybe I might get sent here or I you know what if I get sent to the Ukraine or Iraq or Afghanistan or any of the hot zones around the world what would you say to somebody like that that maybe just needs some courage and they want to do the right thing for their country but they don't want to come back, you know, in a box or missing limbs? Uh, just be confident in your training, what you were taught by others. Uh, people before you went through the same training. Uh, you could be a difference maker. And remember that you could be a difference maker. That's wonderful. Well, Jerry, you certainly are a difference maker because when you were in Vietnam, you saved a bunch of lives. You put your life on the line to make the enemy stop from that fortified position. And again, I want to thank you for your service to our country, what you've done in music to help bring joy to people's lives. And I'm really glad that you're presently getting treatment for the PTSD. I have struggles with that of my own, so it certainly resonate with what you're saying. And thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, when we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and as we close out today's show, let's think about what we've heard from today's very special guest, Mr. Jerry Tempestin. What an incredible man. And just to begin with, I want to highlight something Jerry mentioned in his story. He served two years during the height of the Vietnam War, and he made a conscious decision to not avoid the draft, but to go and sign up. And he didn't want to be a person that what he felt would be evading his responsibility. He said, okay, the country is calling. I'm going to go and do my duty. But then it didn't stop there. When Jerry was in the army and he got trained up and he went to Vietnam, he volunteered for what he called the night teams, which is a harder duty. And he talked about the idea of being united, being bonded with the team. And many of us have seen the television show Band of Brothers. And you can hear from his story, from his heart, that that is truly what happens for him. That he developed a sense of camaraderie and fellowship with his fellow soldiers. And he talked extensively about the idea of running towards the sound of gunfire. A lot of people, when they hear or see something destructive or maybe scary going on, they run the opposite way. Jerry ran towards the sound of gunfire. And because of that, during the renegade battle, he put his life on the line and literally was shot in the head. And somehow God miraculously saved him. He allowed him to continue on with his life, to continue to be of service and a blessing to other people. And before Jerry was kind of out of commission for a while from the head injury, he had enough cognitive thought to be able to take a grenade and take out the enemy position, saving not just his own life, but the lives of his comrades with him, as well as many other service members that could have been injured by that enemy fortified position. But Jerry's service didn't stop there. Jerry talked about the idea of, well, now he can back from the war and he's involved with veteran service organizations. And he was the commander of a post that did the event for Voice of Democracy and sponsored fishing trips and things like that, where he can speak words of life and encouragement and hope into today's young people. And so I wonder how many of us would be willing on the field of battle to do what Tom Hanks' character in Forrest Gump did, pulling people out of battle at his own peril, and what Jerry Tempesta did in real life. Putting his life completely at risk, getting shot in the head in the process of saving other people's lives. How many of us are willing to do that? Well, I'd argue that we're no longer in Vietnam and we've largely pulled out of Iraq and Afghanistan. But what can we do on a daily basis? What kind of sacrifice can we make for other people on a daily basis? Maybe it's not getting shot in the head, 
then maybe we can buy lunch for somebody. Maybe when you pull up to a drive-thru, you can pay for the person behind you. That's a sacrifice. That's something that you can do for another person. Maybe when you're home with your family, you let the other person pick what you're going to watch for a television show that night. Maybe you let the other person pick what you're going to have for dinner that night. There are sacrifices that each one of us can make every day in a hundred different decisions. So I would encourage and even challenge us to think about that during this coming week. The other thing I think is really powerful about Jerry's story is the impact that his co-worker had on him. So Jerry mentioned that he had struggled with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, for a long time. And he didn't go to the VA for 25 years. That's a long time to struggle with this problem. And he talked about sitting in the corner by himself and thinking that was normal, that that, that was okay, that that was acceptable behavior. And it wasn't until his coworker said, Jerry, this is an, a problem caused by your service in Vietnam and maybe you should see somebody for that. That prompting encouraged him to go and seek help. And now Jerry's been going to the VA on a regular basis and getting the physical and mental help that he needs to be able to cope with his issues. And I gotta tell you, as a fellow veteran and somebody that struggles with post-traumatic stress, from things that I've seen and done during my time in combat, it is really important. So I would challenge us, if you are a veteran, be a servant leader and take that step of humility and go seek the help that you need because you can't be of any help to other people if you're not good yourself. You have to be in a good place physically, mentally, spiritually yourself before you can help other people. That's why they say on an airplane, put your own mask on before you help the other person. You have to get yourself right. And then, once you are in a good place, then you can put the needs of other people ahead of your own. But you have to be in a good headspace. So if you're a veteran, go seek the help. If you're not a veteran, maybe you know one. Maybe you've observed one in your workplace, or in your church, or in your community. So maybe what you can do this week is seek out that veteran that you know and encourage them. Maybe talk to them about it. Maybe help bring them. Do something to help them take that next step to get the assistance that they need. Well, listen, Jerry was an incredible guest. Learned such a tremendous amount from him about what it means to truly put your life on the line, to truly be a servant leader, especially in combat, and I'm so thankful that he was on the show for today. But I also want to briefly talk to you. Each week, we briefly discuss this concept of reaping what you sow, right? When you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. And this past weekend, God showed up yet again. Because God is always faithful, but he always shows up in different ways each week. And so this past weekend, I had an opportunity to have a celebration for my two children to honor them for graduation. My daughter graduated from eighth grade. My son graduated from high school. So my son's graduation was a little bit more of a big deal because high school is certainly more of a milestone than eighth grade. And so 
I wanted to make it a really big event for him. And I invited a number of people from all different areas of my life. And the real blessing for me was that because I've spent a lot of time in different ways at different times in my life, pouring in to other people and spending time with people and showing them that they mean something to me and I care about them. People came out in very large numbers to my house, not to honor me, but to honor my son. The majority of the people that came to my house only knew me that came out to honor my son. And so I feel so blessed about that because I really wanted to do something special for him and having so many people show up on his day, he was the hero of the day. He was the star of the show. That really meant a lot to him. And so for me, the lesson is you never know when you're going to need a relationship. You never know when someone is going to come back into your life. You never know how life is going to play out. So I would encourage us and challenge us that every person you meet, show them love in the very best way that you can. Because it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be six months, a year, a couple years. But that person will come back and honor you or maybe your son in a very special way because of the love that you showed to them. Well, listen, next week, so excited about my next guest. His name is Mr. Andrew Schiavello, and he is the president of Honor Flight for Philadelphia, and he's also the owner of Schiavello Corporation. Looking forward to having that conversation with him. But for now, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Walking around these walls I thought by now they fall But you have never felt me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never felt me yet Promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never failed me yet I know the night won't come
your promise. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness.